1: Hey there Knicks fans, the regular season is just about here. My bookie has you covered for your pre-game, in-game, and season-long betting. We got a couple odds for you that I think might be of some interest. If you think the Knicks are going to be pretty good this year, 27 and a half wins, you could bet the over where that's concerned. RJ Barrett plus 580 for rookie of the year. I mean, come on. Uh, that's that's like free money. Uh, and of course, uh, to win the Atlantic Division, you're getting some sweet 90 to 1 odds. 90 to 1. That's it could happen. It's not crazy. And uh, don't forget, these just scratch the surface. We've teamed up with MyBookie to give you this great offer. If you sign up at MyBookie.ag and use promo code Overtime, they will match your first deposit. Again, the promo code is O V E R T I M E and new users get their first deposit doubled. MyBookie.ag. You play, you win, you get paid. Hey there, Knicks fans. How you doing? John of the Macri with you for another episode of the Knicks Film School podcast brought to you of course from the Vivid Seats studio and in case you forgot even though we mention it every time use promo code overtime in the Vivid Seats mobile app to save up to a hundred dollars on all ticket purchases first time customers only I just told him uh a minute ago, and I will reiterate this point now that we are officially recording. There is really nobody else that I'd rather talk to this morning other than the esteemed guests that I have. Uh, guests, sorry, you're like uh, you're like royalty, Alex. You're like the queen. Ugh. It's the royal we. Um, yes, the guest that I have on the line, and that is of course Alex Wolf of where is he not of? He is of Locked On Knicks. He is of posting and toasting. He is of. Just all things that are good and holy. Uh, how are you, Alex?
0: <laughs> I don't know about that third one. I also don't <laughs> know about being called esteemed. It's a little weird to me, but uh, yeah, I appreciate the the kind words, John. Of course.
1: Um. So, uh, how you doing, Alex?
0: I'm good. You know, just getting back into Nick's mode. Yeah. Uh, uh, it was I, it was an adjustment this week. I mean, thankfully the games were spaced out by 5 days, so that that really helped things out. Like I had a long recovery period after that first game. And then, you know, it, which was good because then I needed a lot of uh pre- mental preparation for what ended up happening in that second game.
1: <laughs> I think everybody did. Um and you know, I was I actually was thinking about it when I was writing the recap for the first game. Um and I'm like I mean, not that everything went perfectly, but I really couldn't – like, I I had generally positive things to say about every player. I thought if you looked at every individual performance, um, you know, everybody played well. And I think that really um, threw everybody's scent off from the fact that uh, this is a team – well – let's start here. I don't want to I don't want to put my assumptions onto you. God knows I would never want to do that, Alex. Mm-hmm. So they got smoked last night. Um for you is it as simple as this is a team where um I think it's uh thir- 12 or 13 of the guys on the training camp roster are new, uh 8 of the 11 guys who played last night are new um and of the holdovers you know two or second year players and one is a third year player is it as simple as that or are you already have like um you know some minor sirens blaring um about anything more significant after after last night
0: the only the only more significant thing that i'm starting to get a little bit worried about is Fisdale. um really okay and, so, it's and his coaching and everything the the thing that the thing that really and, and I mean I'm not saying I'm putting him on the hot seat or anything right now. I'm just saying it's something to keep an eye on. You know what I mean? Because last year in important coaching situations, he he did not have a great track record last year. Like after timeouts and um, you know, just generally installing what looked like a coherent offense.
1: Wait, hold on, um, you mean the coaching part of coaching?
0: Yeah, the coaching part of coaching, oh, not okay. just the motivating and the you know, the getting guest speakers and stuff. So like it's the like- actual
1: it's like 7% of, of the job.
0: Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just the small, a small little part, you know, and like rotations, stuff like that. I mean, there's just, you know, and right now I'm not going to harp on anything about what players played when because it's preseason and literally the whole point of preseason, especially yeah. with that many new players. is just like try as many things as you can and see what looks kind of good and then hopefully implement that in the regular season. Um, although I don't know that we can officially have, you know, praise or, or, or faith in Fizz to do that. You know, going into this season either, because he kind of made a lot of empty promises as far as establishing consistent rotations last year as well. Um, it kind of just felt like preseason the whole the whole season last year with, you know, how often he would shuffle lineups and stuff.
1: It was, I, um, I think saying last season was an 82 game preseason is not that far from the truth.
0: Yeah. No, absolutely not. Yeah, it's just I it, it was all just he was throwing things at the wall to see what stuck. And even when things did stick, he would peel it off the wall and throw it again. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It's it not great. Um, but yeah, now like just through the first two games, like the big thing that I've noticed is that in transition they look phenomenal. Like particularly Julius Randle, I think is awesome in the fact that he can like rebound the ball and he rebounds well and he can rebound it and then just immediately start a fast break by himself. Um, make the right reads and transition and stuff. Like that is every bit as good as advertised. But I feel like the big thing in that second game during that like horrendous 41 to 17 Uh, second quarter which was really just the thing that sunk the game because the Knicks they led after one and they actually won the second half by a couple points as well
1: yeah
0: Uh, so it was that 41 to 17 second quarter that was really the deciding factor of the whole game Um, I felt like they got exposed a little bit as far as when they had to run half-court offense they once again just like last year at times looked like they had nothing in the cards as far as you know plays to run or anything and we're just giving the ball, taking turns, basically giving the ball to people at the top of the key and being like figured out. So well, was- no,
1: that's that's. I mean, I there was a couple of possessions that I noticed it more um, in the second half. I the the second quarter just looked disjointed to me more than anything else. But there were definitely ha- you know a handful or two of possessions that I clearly remember where there was literally it was just someone at the top of the key, four you know two guys at the free throw line extended, two guys in the corners, and it was. Like there, there wasn't any movement. And, um, you know, we've heard... Uh, I forget when we heard it, but it was three, four days ago maybe. I don't know. I, I lose track pretty easily of that they've only been working on defense or almost exclusively been working on defense in training camp thus far and the offense. You know, I feel like it's almost in vogue to say sometimes... Like, I remember D'Antoni was big about this. Like, oh, I don't, I'm not worried about the offense. We'll score. Well, you know maybe worry about it a little bit Uh, just a little bit (laughs) just here and there um so i i think you made a great point which is that if this team uh is not able to get in transition they're going to have a difficult time um generating points and part of me is like well that's not a great sign because washington was an absolutely atrocious defensive team last year and has been for a few years although on the second the other side of that coin is that they were playing a bunch of guys who are, um, I don't want to say that they're playing a bunch of guys fighting for their NBA lives, but they're like, they're playing guys who they're, these guys are going to get up on you on, on defense and and be moving around and, and not treat it on defense, at least like a preseason game. So I don't know, maybe they'll still be able to take advantage of other squads in transition. The more interesting thing to me that you said you use the word "hot seat," and I know you said he's not on the hot seat, and you're not trying to put him on the hot seat. Let me ask you this: They have a tough start to the season—not an impossible start, but a tough start. Their first um, nine games—I think I, I went through it with with Jeremy—they may be favored in one of them, if, if anything. Um, you know, two and seven is not out of the question. Three and six, I think, would almost be a minor accomplishment. Then they play five games that they'll be either favored or close to an even pick in in all of those games, and then they embark on just an unholy gauntlet of a stretch that goes really more or less through like the beginning of January. Do yeah. you like with the? It's weird because on one hand we have this idea like this is going to take time to gel. These are all new guys. Half of the guys on the team are either first or second year – or half the guys that are going to get minutes on the team are first or second year um, or third year players, I should say. Um, Is – do you see – I I hate to be talking head guy, but do you see a scenario where – and I'm a Fizz supporter. You know that. Do you Mm -hmm. see a scenario where he finds himself, like, you know, really seriously looking over his shoulder at some point this season? Do you think that's – what do you think would have to happen for that to be the case?
0: I don't think so. I think he's going to be given the whole season again, because um, I, I really think that Perry and Mills feel super strongly about him. Like the way that they always talk about each other, like the the symbiosis going on between you know the sure. the, the, the front office and the head coach and everything. They seem like they're all really on the same page. Um, so in that regard, I, I don't think that he's going to actually hit the hot seat. If he were going to I think the only way that it starts happening and it would probably be more in the media than the actual front office but I mean you know like he's been mostly dormant but you know that like James Dolan if he if he does get the right bug in his ear can you know make some decisions and he might come down like he would be the guy I think you know as much as I've actually I've said now for the last whatever however long since they hired Perry. Uh, year and a half, two years. I mean it's been it's, a while now two um, two in a few months yeah. yeah, so it's a little over two years now. Uh, you know, Dolan's mostly been dormant and not really doing much of anything, but I mean, if the team is legitimately performing as poorly as they did last season, given all the money and talent infusion that they brought in during the off season, I mean, I think that would be grounds to start looking at fisdale potentially as a you know as a candidate to lose his job uh next off season because, um, like, I, I don't know. I, I think the Knicks have enough talent. It's pretty clear they have enough talent on this roster to win more than they did last year. I mean, Julius Randle is a legitimate, like, fringe all-star if you, you know, use him properly and, and you know, put him in a position to succeed, which I don't know that they've necessarily done so far. Um, Kind of talked about it on the the locked-on Knicks uh, postgame, but I feel like they haven't been running that many design plays for him. It's kind of just been letting him freelance and yep. figure things out, which I he's agree. good enough at. But they, they haven't been running, like, pick and rolls for him or even letting him run pick and roll, you know, that sort of thing. Like, I think there's many different scenarios where you can get Julius Randle, you know, in a position to succeed. Like, for the love of God, just get him one switch onto a point guard or shooting guard. Yeah. Like, that's all it takes, man. He's money, like, from inside. Like, just get him a switch onto a smaller defender and forget about it. Like, he's he's scoring. Um, so, it, you know, they haven't been doing stuff like that. And if that continues and if the defense continues to look relatively atrocious, well, um, yeah, no, that's it. If supposedly this defensive coach, you know what I mean? That's, I got to start seeing some defense and I got to start seeing some like actual cohesive rotations and winning basketball at a certain point.
1: So I could, I could talk myself into, I'm really good at talking myself into shit. I could talk myself into all kinds of excuses for, the fact that the offense was dreadful. Again, whatever, maybe not working on it in, in training camp. I think the loss of uh, Dennis Smith Jr., who I, I believe you are still a proud resident of DSJ Island, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, yeah. I love DSJ. Yeah, and and look, Fisdale, um, his offense, what... what <laughs> What there is of it that we've been able to go off of through a year and change seems to be predicated on um, a point guard who could do exactly what, theoretically, you know Dennis Smith Jr.'s specialty is going to be, which is getting into the lane. And then, you know, um, that kind of starts a domino effect of of whatever, open guys, what, whatever you want to say. He obviously hasn't been here. Alfred Payton and Frank Nilekina, um don't have quite that same ability. So Whatever. I'm not, I'm not as worried. Even like miss rotations or like late rotations, I'm not gonna go nuts about that yet because again, new team, only been in camp together for whatever it is, eleven or twelve days. The thing that got me about last night is, and he even said it in the post game. He said we were really good at getting out on shooters and being in the right position to get a hand up and not and not foul. Um, In their first game. And then he said, we didn't do that at all this game. And, and I, somebody asked the follow-up question. I think it was Begley. I'm not sure. Well, like, what do you attribute that to? And I forget what exactly his answer was, but essentially he's like, I I don't really know what to attribute that to. He's like, I I think he said, I have to look at the film. But that's, that's weird. Like, what's the, like, what's the, what's the reason for that? Like did guys you know, guys didn't forget that it's important to be in the right position when, when you know, when someone's put up a shot. Is it was it just like, all right, we're you know, we're resting on our laurels? Like I that that was the only thing coming out of last night that I could say genuinely was like, eh, that's I don't want I don't like that. That's not Well what and doing. there was there was legitimately
0: like it felt like five straight possessions oh, where yeah. Washington was attempting a three and You know, one of the idiot defenders on the Knicks decided to close out too hard and land in their landing zone. And, you know, they, they gave up like I think it was actually like three or four three shot fouls, which is just absurd and like not something that should be happening in an NBA game like you, you should it, at most you should foul one three point shooter a night and really ideally you want to foul zero three point shooters a night like that's <laughs> yeah, can like we, really can stupid. we go to,
1: can we get to zero maybe is that Yeah like
0: <laughs> that is just that's not a good look that's not something you want to be doing and they did it so many times in a row and they kept making the exact same mistake and it was just it was infuriating and it, you saw it from Mitch too I mean Mitch was Mitch was a mess in that second game He was I mean he was not good. He was just dude he could not stay on the floor. He he got to 5000 under 11 minutes. Like it was ridiculous. I mean the first half they um he got taken out with two fouls and then he drew a third foul like like really quickly he, when he got reinserted in the second quarter. Played 11
1: minutes. I mean it's yeah. you know in 5000 11 minutes you know it yeah. is what it is.
0: Yeah, it's just I it I don't know. That was concerning. It was concerning to see him doing kind of dumb things on defense when it, it just it felt like it felt like one of his worst nights last year, you know what I mean? Like thank goodness it's preseason and and hopefully he'll, you know, course correct by the regular season, but it, it wasn't well, it, great.
1: But it raises it, it raises a good point, which is that for all of the depth that this team acquired um, this offseason, they're still really thin in some important areas, and I think You could argue, and I don't even think it would be a really tough argument to make, that Mitchell Robinson, if not their best player over the second half of last year, and I'm not sure I could go that far, um, I think he was their most important player. And I say that because there was just a palpable difference in, I felt it, I don't know how you felt, in like what, like when he was out there, you felt like on most nights they could at least like hold their own against whoever they're playing. And then when he went out of the game, it was like that's it. it not that it always happened, but it felt like the wheels were kind of going to start to fail off, and obviously, oftentimes that they they did, you know. And and that's why it was kind of funny. People talked about they, that they signed all these bigs, um, like yeah, Bobby Portis is, is, figures to slot in as a as a, a backup five for his shooting. If he's not making shots, that guy's not a valuable contributor out Mm-mm. on the floor, and we, we were reminded of that last night. He is, uh, to say he's an inconsistent defender would probably be putting it too kindly. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, it's 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 tough because they really do need Mitch, and um, I think they need Dennis Jr. to be the best version of himself. And the other guy that I think, or rather I should say I'm not sure if they need, and I'm curious what your thoughts on him is, um, or Alonzo Trier, mm-hmm. didn't yeah? I... Yeah. Well, so I'll, so... Say,
0: I'll say first off, I'm all in on Taj Gibson as the backup center at this point, rather than Bobby Portis after one game, <laughs> because <laughs> Taj understand. Gibson is just doing intangible stuff. Like he's rebounding, he's playing defense, he's scoring on the inside he's you know looking for uh, you know picks and easy buckets and all that stuff like he's doing everything that you want a backup center to do well actually b-
1: before we move on from that what did you think of yeah. we only got it for a few minutes but what did you think of the minutes with randall as the backup five?
0: Oh, i enjoyed it I actually did too. i i gushed about that on on locked on nicks like one of my favorite lineups of the night um just for the sheer interestingness of it was uh they had, I think it was Frank, Trier, um, Ellington... And then they swapped out. At one point, it was Marcus Morris. The other point, it was uh, R.J. Barrett. Yeah, th-
1: Barrett at the four. Barrett cool. was the four for, a, I think, two different stretches of the game last yeah. night. Yeah,
0: And, like, a good couple minutes, too. And then Randall at the five. And I really enjoyed that. See, that's, like, the kind of lineup. If Mitch isn't out there, Yes. just put that lineup out because you're not going to get good defense even that's, if you have two other bigs out there.
1: That's where I thought you were going before. Yeah.
0: So just run. You know, just run with it. You know what I mean? Like, um, and, and, you know, if you have to play two bigs, play Gibson with Randall or Portis, because Gibson can at least like sort of defend the paint a little bit. You know what I mean? Like he's not a he's not a shot blocker like Mitch is by any stretch of the imagination, but he can at least hold his own down there and fill the lane properly and stuff without, you know, just giving up these easy well, inside buckets or bad rotations that lead to open three. He
1: also knows where the hell he's supposed to be and he'll he was late a couple times last night, but more you know, he's not gonna kill you on on the defensive end, I guess is the, the point.
0: Well, he's a, he's a good system player too you know yeah. what I mean you have to have a good defensive system for him and, and so if he's being asked to clean up all the messes like that's not really fair to him because it's not a role that he's ever had to play yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um to get back to trier though I mean I my thing with trier in the in the second game like I was glad that he finally got pulled off the bench because I thought they should have put him in the second quarter like when they were just they couldn't create anything I'm like well you have one guy that you know can reliably create some points. I was
1: really surprised when Frank went out with the third foul that they that they brought back um
0: brought by Peyton, Peyton. Yeah. yeah Peyton sucks man <laughs> Peyton. at least based off that off these first two games, he's been really bad like, he, I,
1: well he I, doesn't do anything really like Frank even when he's having these abysmal offensive games which and he hasn't been great offensively in through two preseason games. He's at least doing something at the other end, and I know he got into some foul trouble last night. But, like, for, you know, Frank, you feel like th- there's a reason he's out there, even if he's not making shots. Peyton is a pest on defense, but he also is is not – he also has moments where it's it's not great
0: on defense. Either. I think he's so, kind of a classic gambles a little too much kind yes. of defender too. Yeah, like, yeah. he's trying a little too hard, you know. Like, he should just kind of be focused on setting his feet and keeping his man in front of him, and instead he's like – trying to go for steals and crap, like... Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. He's he's like he's like in NBA 2K when you get a little too overzealous with the X button, you know, going <laughs> for steals and stuff and trying to get cute, and then you get burned, and, you know, the guy just, like, blows right by you. That kind of feels like the Alfred Payton experience in a nutshell, more or less. But, um, yeah, with Trier, like, once he got minutes, I enjoyed it. Um, my only issue was that the reason that he did well was because the Knicks' offense kind of just like it almost seemed like they they conceded that the offense had just fallen apart at that point, and they were like, <laughs> "Well, let's bring in Isoso because we know that he can come in and iso a little bit and get us some buckets." Yeah. Um, and you know that's exactly what he did. He scored, I think it was like 14 points in 17 minutes on good efficiency. Yeah. Um. Yeah, four. four like, that's
1: 14 points on seven shots. You're not going to do much better than
0: that. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of like classic. Alonzo Trier when he's at his and best. five turnovers Very though efficient.
1: We, we should add in.
0: Yeah, I, not ideal, but you know, the, the for the point production in such a limited amount of time, you kind of put up with that. But um yeah, I uh, like like I said, I I liked that he came in and played well. I just didn't like the circumstances. Um I also I don't want him to just be an iso player this year. Like I was really looking forward to seeing him in like being able to still iso, but also embracing a more classic, like, catch-and-shoot shooting guard role this year, too. Well, I thought he because did more that's... of
1: that on Monday. I thought he passed right – like, he was open to passing the ball.
0: <laughs> yeah. Full stop. He also took some dumb shots on Monday, too, though. He you did. Know? You're right. He forced it a little bit. Like, he needs to strike this balance where he can realize, like, I don't have to shoot it necessarily. If they need to call my number, then then, you know, I'm ready, but – you know, otherwise I can keep the ball moving. I can just wait for the right shot rather than just putting it up when I get it. That's also a lesson Bobby Portis needs to learn <laughs> about oh my God. taking the right shot rather than just looking for the shot the second the ball touches your hands. So, um, I guess we'll see as far as True goes. But it was it was encouraging at least. It's good to see him play well. Like that's yeah. that's for sure.
1: I um, you know, it, you could already see the direction this is going. And it's like, you know, and pe- listen, people have been saying it all offseason, you know, uh, middle ground Nick fans, not insane, like everything is wonderful. We're going to make the playoffs Nick fans. Not um, Frank Isola uh, follower Nick fans. Like people on the middle, they're like, you know what? I would have been fine with the offseason, except I didn't get, not that I didn't get, but I would have been much happier if instead of the Portis and Peyton signings, they took that um, space. And they used it for salary dumps, and look, I defended both signings. I, I said Peyton is a fallback in case you know Smith Jr. doesn't work out. Um, Portis is there to stretch the floor. Those are both incredibly flawed players, which we both you know just touched on now. like you know you could t- you could see the way this is shaping up, and um, I'll be very curious because if you were if I was betting before these preseason games started um on you know the the seven or eight guys that were 100% going to be a member of the rotation just because of kind of how the off- the the sorry the um organization was how they were kind of painting the picture um i would have said Portis and Peyton would both be in that list of you know i guess about eight guys um and I wonder if it's clear that like this team is better without one or both of those guys getting off the bench, uh, you know, how are they going to embrace that role? And I, I think that's, you know, it's something that I'm I'm going to be thinking about. It's something I guess I'm going to be watching for if it comes to that. But, you know, and, and just to, to close the loop on the other point that you made about Fisdale and the strengths that he does have, theoretically that's what he's good at too, right, is getting guys to continue buying in even if they're not, seen the floor for a night or two nights or whatever it is, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, he, he had, I would say, pretty great success with that last year outside of Ennis Cantor, but I think Cantor is kind of just un, uh, un uh, coachable as far as that sort of stuff goes because he just believes that he should be on the floor at all times because he thinks he's like God's gift to basketball. Um he is. But, you know, you, you had other guys like Courtney Lee last year that was, you know, an established vet that should have realistically you know, had a role and, you know, had come off a career year the year before and, yep. you know, they explained to him, like, you're not the priority right now. And he was okay with that. And, you know, same thing with, like, DeAndre Jordan. Um, you know, he was he was starting his first X number of games with the Knicks and then, you know, Fizdo said, hey, man, we're going to sit you down. We're going to play Robinson and Cornette. And he was like, okay, cool, good. Yeah. You know, whatever. I mean, that might have just been – DeAndre might have just been like – oh, I'll take the rest of the season off. That's fine. Like, I'll wait for free agency. <laughs> well, I'm like,
1: pretty sure he had been taking the season off since about um, third day of training camp last year. Yeah,
0: that's probably true as well, considering the Mavs weren't much to look at even before um, that trade last year. So, um, yeah, I, I do think, like, if there's one thing that you're supposedly banking on Fizdale for, it's being able to manage personalities. Um I I don't know why I I don't really get the feeling that Peyton would ever be an issue. I do worry a little bit about Portis because Portis was the one who's I mean when you talk when you look at guys that are talking a big game, Portis has been talking one of the biggest games in the office. All- <laughs> and that six man of the year I,
1: candidate dude. exactly that is a little
0: bit reminiscent of Ennis Cancer because um, if you remember, Cancer last year was talking about I want to make an All Star team next year. And it became obvious that. that,
1: How'd that work out for you,
0: Bud? Yeah, right. It became obvious that his idea of doing that was going out and collecting stats, you know, and that was it. And super small sample size, but just through one game, it seems like Bobby Portis is pretty, pretty uh, inclined to chase stats rather than necessarily, you know, team ball. Uh, But I guess we'll see. You know, there's already been talk about how the contract situations of all these guys is going to affect the product on the court this year. Um, like there's already been some stuff written about it and Fisdale's given some quotes on it because they, they, he made comments last year that it was kind of difficult that you had all these guys on one year deals trying to prove themselves yeah. for the Knicks or another team, yep. um, you know, fighting for their NBA lives like you said earlier. And uh, so, you know, it's it, my main thing, I guess that I would say to those players this year is like, you're being paid handsomely. For to be here on a one year deal. Like the Knicks overpaid every single one of their one year deal guys yep. just to get them here. Yep. So my talk to them, if anybody would start getting fresh about that, would be like, look, man, like we're overpaying you. Like <laughs> point blank. Like we're overpaying you and, and, you know, you need to just take whatever role we have for you and, you know, the market will still be there at the end of the season. People know what you are at this point. So,
1: yeah. Um, no, I, I completely agree. I think, sm- like, small picture, um, you know, it's just it's tricky because there's there are there's an ecosystem in the NBA where Bobby Portis could be a valuable player. Um, you know, surround him with four good defenders and um and just kind of make sure he doesn't have to do too much thinking. Um, you know, same thing with Peyton. Um, make sure there's enough shooting around him to to make it uh such that he could actually move around and it's it's not completely cramped by him being out there it's just a matter of whether or not the Knicks are going to be a able to even put either of them in those types of ecosystems and B which is just, what we were talking about whether it's worth it or, um, whether it's not. And then that kind of ties in, so to speak with what I think is a, it's a good time to remind everybody this year is just all about the continued development of the young, you know, air quotes, quote unquote core guys and putting them in a situation where they're trending in the right direction. And all this shit that we're talking about, I don't really care about it as long as A, it doesn't blow up and turn into a distraction, and B, it's not preventing those those players. Now, obviously, those players, like Mitch, needs to, on his own accord, not pick up 5, eleven minutes. Um, Dennis Smith Jr. needs to get the fuck out on the court and actually play like yeah they're responsible for that stuff but I guess I'm I'll leave this conversation on a high note which is that I think for whatever went wrong last night like RJ Barrett was still able to do his thing still you know look pretty good I've been impressed with Barrett so far through two games you feeling okay about him
0: oh I love Barrett through two games I think he's gonna be a stud man like I think he's already he's already shown leaps and bounds improvement with his right hand since summer league, I think like his, his confidence and, and finishing ability driving with his right so far in these first two games has been crazy compared to his summer league. I mean, summer league, he was literally like driving with his right, looking super uncomfortable and just flailing, you know, and, and now (laughs) he's finishing with control. He's finishing with his right or, you know, transitioning to his left, which is stronger hand, obviously. Um, I mean, he's looking great, and the jumper's looking good enough. You know, he's hitting um, – he hit 33% in the first game from three and then 40% in the second game. If he evens out over a whole season at 36%, like, forget about it. That's yep. awesome for him. Um, and then uh, I was actually just going to note, you know, out of the young core guys, yeah. It, to your point, yeah, I really want to see Dennis Smith out there first off. But secondly, I actually – one positive, I guess, from last night is I actually found myself kind of missing Kevin Knox. Oh, me too. Is is a good thing. Yeah. Like, you know, it, it shouldn't just feel like he's not around. It, like, it shouldn't good. feel okay. Yeah, it shouldn't feel okay when he's not around. You know what I mean? Like, he legitimately had a good first preseason game. And I think he's shown improvement, A, getting to the rim and using his body because he's he's clearly embracing the fact that he's like a, like a big boy now. Yep. Um... And then his three point shot has been looking really I mean, the numbers aren't quite there, but the form and everything looks great and and based off of like summer league and stuff, I do think that the percentages are gonna come around. And then um lastly he's been I think a more active and willing passer through the first few games. For sure. Or through, through the first game, I should say, and then and No, then but that, that was in summer league. summer
1: league. That was in summer yeah. league as well, I think we saw that.
0: Yeah, so I, it was encouraging that I felt myself thinking like, wow, I wish we had Kevin Knox out there right now last night. So <laughs> As opposed
1: to last year when um,
0: – You were just know? kind of being different, you know? <laughs> yeah.
1: Um. All right. I. I so let's transition. Um, I messaged you when I was walking to school. Um, was it yesterday, the day before, whatever. <laughs> it's all the same shit. So a little, little – little, Slight backstory here. I was listening to um the Low Post, uh with um uh, Zach Lowe was interviewing I think it was Dave McMenamin. Um apologies to Nick fans who are upset that I have not disowned Zach Lowe. I mean, what do you want me to tell you? I love the guy. He's I think he's awesome. Are you are you okay with Zach Low? Are you still on the Zach Low?
0: I'm generally. I mean, I still enjoy his style of writing and his coverage. Um, I think he's over the years turned into more of a hot take guy than an analysis guy. At which times, he, yeah, yeah. I mean, especially his in person appearances. Like, forget about it. Like, he's just a talk. Oh, I don't. I don't watch on him on the jump. Like, I would, yeah, but um, I I, mean, I, I do not watch know, the jump period. His writing it's still somewhat analytical, but I do think it gets a little takey. Uh, I I do think that. I think that he's uh his coverage of the knicks is it has and always will be inherently biased and with some sort of agenda um
1: well and, let's yeah but sorry. like
0: his coverage of the other teams i find fine i mean my biggest thing okay not to rant too much before we get into this no, this, I, sort, of, this I was, sort of leads into the topic i, I guess, was but trying don't let to you...
1: goad you into a rant please yeah well
0: so like my thing with him is like I feel like all last season he was one of the first guys to turn Knicks fans onto the Kevin Durant rumors. Like he was he was the guy that I, I specifically remember was the turning point where I said, "Wow, maybe this is legit," because he had you know his one low post or whatever he had somebody on. It, I forget was, who I, it was I remember it
1: like it was yesterday. It was Rachel Nichols and it was Howard Beck, the three of them yes. at um. And, I forget if it was summer league or slightly thereafter, but that was and, when and the they're first, talking
0: yeah. and he made the comment like. They said someone said something to the effect of like, well, you don't really believe like that Durant's seriously looking at the Knicks. And he made the comment of like, oh, well, you know, like I wouldn't write them off. You know, like he was the one pushing this stuff, you know, and then all last season, I swear to you, it was like he was walking on eggshells talking about the Knicks, trying not to bash them too much because had they gotten Kevin Durant, he would have, you know, if he had like shat on them all season he would have then had to walk that pack and be like well maybe the Knicks aren't actually so bad so I think he legitimately believed Durant was going to the Knicks and then the second that the Knicks don't get Durant then now you know whatever it was like a week or two ago now he's going on being like on his own show and then on the jump being like I can't believe Knicks fans were so gullible to think that Kevin Durant was coming to their team and it's like you pushed these rumors <laughs> like this was you. Well, <laughs> like, can
1: I can I jump in for half a second on this? Go for he, it. Yeah, here's the part of it. The only part of it. I'm not singling out him. This is this is everybody. The only part of it that gets me is if you're gonna have this position, I, I actually don't. Whatever, take the position. It's fine. But then don't um, bring up the what they got in return in the Kristaps trade, which again. Dennis Smith Jr. Hope he works out the picks. You know who knows. Let's see. Maybe they turn it into something. It was a trade where the the primary asset of the trade was cap space. Don't go and do revisionist history of how foolish that was. when all the again that all of the conversation was at the time this is happening because the only way that you could do that with a straight face is to fault the Knicks for essentially not having inside information and again everybody does it so I don't know how big of a deal it is but tampering and essentially breaking NBA law by getting a guarantee in what was it January 30th they made the trade 31st mm-hmm. you know at some point before that time they you know if if that was the conversation you can't them then go back and fault them for basically believing or not not forget about believing, but considering what everybody was saying, because you know what, what happened at the end of the day, they shot their shot and they missed. So, and this is, you want to talk about a transition now into what our conversation. So I was listening to them on the, him on the podcast, talk about Anthony Davis and how Anthony Davis didn't want to go to Boston. Um, and I was thinking about like, man. So we have Anthony Davis said he didn't want to go to Boston. Kyrie Irving wanted out of Boston. Al Harford wanted out of Boston. Terry Rozier, whatever you want to think of him, wanted out of Boston. Um, And the only guy who wanted into Boston was a third – how old is Kemba Walker? 30 30 years old? 29?
0: I think he's like 29
1: or 30. A 5'11 point guard who you just paid one hundred and forty. dollars Something million dollars. And I love Kemba Walker, but um, there's a possibility that contract is one of the most untradeable deals in the NBA at some point in the next 18 months. Just throwing that out there. Okay. We have all of that with Boston, and we had all of this conversation with the Knicks. Boston had every opportunity to turn their treasure trove of assets into name the player Paul George, Kawhi Leonard. Jimmy Butler, they didn't shoot their shot, and nobody ever talks about it. The Knicks did shoot their shot, and all we ever hear about is what idiots they were for believing what all of us—me, not me, not me and you, but the media—are saying. And I'm thinking to myself, well, how do we have this dichotomy? And my my, my—the first thing my brain comes to is, well, you can't compare the Knicks and, and Boston because the Knicks are a shit show and Boston is Boston. And then I thought to myself, well, wait a minute. Why are we still, why do we still have to say that when all we've seen over the last year, the last year is an exodus that nobody wants to be in Boston? Who was there and actually played there for the supposedly, you know, it's Boston, we'll figure it out. Everything's going to be okay organization. So yeah, there's my rant. So, ha, you thought you would have the only rant of the episode. <laughs> Not so much. So, yeah, that's that's my, that's my where I'm at. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of, you know, I'm of the same belief. I do think that the two teams get covered differently. You know, actually, I I did something very unlike me. I did a little bit of, like, pre-show research. Look at you. <laughs> Normally, I just fly by the seat of my pants. But Somebody give this today, man a raise. I, I, I looked, and I'm like, I'm trying to just find some coverage about how, you know, what the Celtics did was viewed and like a, a headline from the ringer, which is essentially a Celtics publication, but on June 18th Shots was <laughs> Will moving on from Kyrie Irving help the Celtics become fun again was the headline. That's,
1: and that's an interesting one.
0: I'm like, okay, let's just imagine that the tables were turned here and the Knicks had traded finally pulled the trigger on a trade first off after being tentative for so long like which then everybody would have still been i mean if the knicks had that situation like the celtics had which i mean it would have been a pretty enviable situation but had they had that situation with all the all these draft picks and then they just kept using the picks and honestly like tatum looks like he could Maybe be a star, but that's still not a guarantee. Brown, I think, is pretty overrated in the public eye. And other than that, like, who have they drafted? With and those... also
1: wants to get paid with a capital P. Um, to... Yeah,
0: exactly. In in potentially a lower salary cap next year too. So yep. Um, but like, you know, it's it, it's just you know they they haven't really used those draft picks to their fullest extent. At least not as far as like like draft picks in the NBA are like the ultimate like potential fool's gold you know what i mean like like if you have a bunch of them it's like oh my god this is like this is the most uh, amazing thing ever they have all these draft picks like that's so enviable like they can get any star they want but then if you don't spend them in time and then you're forced to actually use them then if you don't draft perfectly then it's like wasted capital because a future potential draft pick is worth so much more usually than what actually becomes of the draft pick. You know what I mean? And that's been the case with pretty much every pick that the Celtics have had other than the Nets picks, which landed them in the top three however many times.
1: Could we just uh, stay on that point for one second, mm-hmm. which is that mm-hmm. they were gifted because you had an owner who was – his impetuousness makes Dolan look like, uh, I don't know, Peter Holt or something. Um, and so that that w- they, that was presented to them on a silver platter – and it's like, yes, Ange made the deal and he stuck to his guns, but and look, I've I I think Ange is a good GM. I'm not, and that's not the point of this. This this is not to say that Ange is a shitty GM, but my point, like, the amount that the praises get sung when we have to just remember the fact that they were given the gift of all NBA gifts, and thus far, you know, it's like,
0: what have they gotten out of it? They gotten a couple like one Eastern conference finals and a couple early exits, like, in yeah. <laughs> maybe it. the, we- and I mean, they the weakest got smacked conference... last year too. What, uh, wait, what, sorry, what was that? I said they got smacked last year too. Yeah. I mean, and it Eastern wasn't even conference like they finals, lost like valiantly.
1: Yeah. And the Eastern conference finals they made, um, and, and look, they, they pushed Cleveland to seven games. So I'll give them that. But other, you know, that was maybe the weakest, um, that the conference has been in, in, I don't know, ever. I,
0: I'm not sure. Yeah, that was a pretty weak—I mean, because that LeBron team was—I mean, literally it was only LeBron James. I mean, Nobody else was really performing on that team. Um, but, like, it, to the greater point, yeah, like, so the—they haven't really hit, it, like, phenomenally hit on their draft picks. Um, all these draft picks that they had, they didn't cash them out in time to actually get a star that wants to be there. The one that they did cash out, they got Kyrie Irving, who then walked after a year and a half, which— like, if that was the Knicks, it would be – everything would be about, oh, the Knicks' toxic culture forced him out. Like, you know, Kyrie Irving couldn't handle Dolan. Like, Kyrie Irving couldn't handle the Knicks, blah, blah, blah. And then you, you made a point to bring this up when we were talking about this, you know, the other day too, that there was the whole Anthony Davis flatly refused to be traded there. He was like, if you trade me there, I'll play for a year, but I'm not signing there. Like, yeah. period. That's not going to happen. And, you know, it, it's like – I don't know. You do for whatever it's worth. I mean, it, even if it's not the, the cream of the crop players, you do have players that are asking to come to New York now, like Julius Randle, who seems very excited about it. Marcus Morris, who seems very excited about it. You know, every guy at the Knicks sign this year seems excited to be here. Um, let's not say that Kemba Walker doesn't seem excited to be a Celtic.
1: Well, but, but can can we just for, for one second here, Julius Randle is – and look, I, I this is – not to sing Randall's eternal praises. He has to show so much more on defense. The tunnel vision, we've already seen it through two games. It gets really bad sometimes. But that that contract, I have not seen one person this offseason say that that was a good contract. And in a few corners, I've seen people be like, you know, I, what was the... Um, there was some generic piece that came out a week or two ago. Maybe it was the one from, from Kurt Helen. I forget where some anonymous executive was like, oh, yeah, what they gave Randall really raised an eyebrow. I'm like, hold on. Julius Randall is three years. The third year is a team option for $21 million a year, and you're paying Kemba Walker essentially double that,
0: right?
1: hmm And it's like one is a 25 – what is Randall 25? 24. Tw- yeah.
0: 24. Uh, I think he turns 25 about halfway through the season.
1: Theoretically about to enter his prime – and walker again i love walker as a player this is not a this is not a knock on walker but theoretically maybe just now exiting his prime and you know point guards at that size we have a something of a history here you know may not age well so it's like we, you know and then in, t- in terms of just the, the davis thing like you said like if the <laughs> and not to say that they could have made the deal But the Knicks didn't try to go head first all in on Anthony Davis um, when that would have been, I would argue, like the easiest thing for them to do or at least try to get, you know, dip their foot in, in those waters. Whereas Boston did and Boston clearly didn't work out. And for the Knicks, they're trying to take a more measured approach. And it's like, where where is that? You know where is that being even talked about? And it's, it's obviously not. So,
0: yeah, and you know the thing too with it's, it's also just interesting to me how different the coverage is between the Porzingis situation and the Irving situation. Oh my god! Of like, because really, I so people like to you know change the you know like change things around because it you know Porzingis technically was under team control. Technically, the Knicks would have had. You know, restricted free agent rights on him this year, but Porzingis was threatening to a leave the team and go back to Spain and train there for the rest of last season. Like that was what that meeting was apparently with with uh, Perry and Mills, the the infamous meeting where he got traded. Then like two hours later, because yeah. they'd already they already canvassed the league and already had kind of figured that was coming. Um, but like, you know, he uh, it, he was threatening to go back to Spain, and then he was also apparently threatening to. If the, you know, if the Knicks offered him a max contract, he wasn't going to take it, and he was going to sign the qualifying offer, which would have made him an unrestricted free agent the next year. Um, and then you, all you get is a year of Porzingis playing here and not actually wanting to play here, and what good is that? Um, so, like, really, I, I don't think the two situations were that different between Porzingis and Irving. It was just uh, one had, you know, potentially one extra year before becoming an unrestricted free agent. But both, I mean, in the Knicks situation, they actually got something for him. And in the Celtics situation, he walked for nothing, you know. And and in both cases, it was a, a good player, you know, on a team that, you know, the Celtics have this apparently unimpeachable culture that, you know, can't be, you know, can't be matched by anyone or anything. And the Knicks, you know, are forever this, you know, toxic dump of, you know bad culture in the eyes of, of the media despite evidence to the contrary where people around the league are talking nicely about them now um their own players seem to love you know the coach in front office and everything I, I and you know it seems like things are turning for the Knicks but nobody wants to nobody wants to accept that as a reality because honestly the Knicks just make for a good punchline I think and and you know that's dictated how the coverage is at least to me Yeah. Um, no, and, and especially how you see them versus the Celtics, who again are this like, you know, unimpeachable like paragon of of good NBA management and good NBA franchise sort of thing. You know what I mean? And and again, to be clear, because
1: this is the the point of this conversation, is not to say that certain teams don't deserve the benefit of the doubt when stuff comes up, and other you know other other teams do, like. San Antonio with the Kawhi situation... Like, I'm... Nobody... I certainly have never done this... And, and nobody should be... No Nick fan, at least... Should be saying, well... You know, why, why did that... Why did that situation get covered the way it did... And the Spurs don't get criticized? Well, because the Spurs have been a model of efficiency... And, and everything that you're supposed to aspire to in this sport... For 25 freaking years now... Or 30 years, almost. Um, and... That was one guy who clearly wanted to play in California or L.A. And yeah, my daughter – my daughter still can't – can, can you hear my daughter crying in the background by the way? Just a little bit, yeah. Yeah, I think she, <laughs> I think she just like jumped off of something and injured herself, um, which I'm very concerned about. I just want to note it
0: noted for the record. I'm very concerned about But my wife is down there. So. But you know what? You're a businessman. You got you to <laughs> take care of business first. Okay? There you go. <laughs> um, so what was I saying?
1: Yeah, but with Boston, we – there's all this evidence that they are not this bastion of of, of gumdrops and candy canes, and I, and I'm sorry, I'm not gonna be like, well, it's all Kyrie, right? They took a chance on Kyrie and um it didn't work out, and and you can't judge them as an organization, um based on that because a, one, they should have known what they were getting into with Kyrie beforehand because it's not like there were any qualms about what type of person this this guy was. Um, And two, you know, Harford. Al Harford is like if there was a guy that you would have bet your life on if the Celtics are what they purport to be and what they are made out to be by the media, that's a guy who is going to you know be thrilled to spend the rest of his career there. No. Not only did he leave, he opted out. He could have spent Mm -hmm. one more year there. No. Mm -hmm. He opted out. And, again, I know his comments recently were about he was – Uncertain about um, uh, playing, like how the situation was going to develop with Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving was gone, like not not literally gone, but like you know, Brooklyn was a done deal days before free agency started. So don't don't tell me that's the reason why Harford left. He could have he could have gone back there, but again, it's it's not um, it's not covered that way, and and that's something that we are we are left to deal with. And 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 one one last caveat to this none of this is to say that the coverage of the Knicks should be better. This is not blaming the media. This is, or, or blaming the New York media, at least. This is not saying, write rosier articles about the Knicks and what they're trying to do. I'm, I'm done with that speech because it's like, look, the team is what they are. They've been this way for the last 20 years. You want to be hard on them? Be hard on them. But just, you know, at least attempt to be equal about it across the board. That's all.
0: Yeah, I think this just in general, I mean it's super frustrating to Knicks fans in particular, but I think oh, you see I think you see a a large amount of favorable Celtics coverage and even Nets coverage and cruddy Knicks coverage because like the guy that sort of promoted so many of these people to the the forefront was Bill Simmons, who's like Mr. Boston, and then he plucked a lot of guys from, like, you know, different Celtics blogs and stuff and brought them to the national spotlight. And, you know, as much as they now all, you know, like to act like they're objective or whatever, like, Zach Lowe is probably the closest one to being actually objective about things. Um, But, you know, you get – you still get, like, Kevin O'Connor even. I mean, not to hate on him. I actually think he's he's decent. He's pretty good at his job. Yeah. Uh, you know, you even get him, like, posting, you know, pictures of himself, like, oh, went to the Celtics game today, like, <laughs> you know, like, still a big Celtics fan, and it's like, okay, like, it just, it, it rubs me a little bit the wrong way then that you're trying to write, like, quote-unquote objective pieces about, like, the, you know, the Knicks and stuff then, because obviously you're going to have an agenda there.
1: Yeah, uh, and, and then the, 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 in the category of, like, backlash to the backlash, then when you got guys like us trying to paint. I, I mean, I'd like to think a fair picture. I don't I, don't, I I'm I sure I am a little too rosy at times, but then that gets obviously, you know, land basted as, you know, trying to put, um, lipstick on something that's always going to be a pig. And it's like, well, you know, you got to try to balance it out somehow. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. I, I don't know. I don't know if we'll ever get this, uh, utopia that we want, but well, I think if they're
1: good or decent. <laughs> if they're
0: good, some of it'll start going away, but they're literally going to have to get like championship good before it ever fully goes away. I think,
1: well, let's, uh, let's close with this. And uh, I, I think the wise old sage, Jeff Van Gundy, um, Made a very good point when he when he said it on uh, whatever ESPN show it was. Talk about a guy who does not give a shit. He would just say what he what he thinks. I, that's why I, I love Van Gundy. A lot of reasons I love Van Gundy, but that's one of them. Um, when he was like, "Look, New York's not for everybody," and some you know, it, all it is going to take is one guy to turn the franchise around. And I truly do still believe that. And I, I wrote about the possibility of Barrett being that guy over the summer. Not in terms of a talent level. I don't think he has the talent to be like a top five, six, seven, whatever player in the NBA. But sometimes it doesn't take the most talented guy to turn things around. You know what I mean? Um, and I'm I'm hoping maybe he has that in him. I know that's a lot to put on a 19-year-old kid, but I don't know. We'll see.
0: I think based off what we've seen from RJ so far, I mean – it's going to take him really, you know, hitting his ceiling and all that. But I think he could turn into like
1: he needs to be good.
0: He can't be he can't be bad and turn things around. But I'm, he, I guess I, don't I, think, I think he, he could turn into like a top twenty player, though. Was what I was going to say. Sure, like, yeah. I think, and maybe even like top fifteen. Maybe start, you know, like if he really hits his peak, you might start talking about him as like a top ten. That's like if he really actualizes his playmaking, especially um, if he turns into like a legit like secondary distributor. And can become, you know, efficient from three point range, like to a, a good degree, like 37, 38 percent, something like that. I think we've already seen so far, even just through a couple games that, you know, the drive game for him is is already, you know, borderline above average in the NBA
1: I, I uh, want to see it against some different defenses and some different defenders um, mm-hmm. but yeah for sure I've I've had the same I mean experience. he definitely
0: knows how to use his body and oh, he's yeah. definitely he's been doing well at finishing through contact already which is good I mean okay. th- that first layup yesterday was like unreal to me like well, how how much control he had
1: I'm I'm not I'm, and I I, I I nobody take a sound clip of this and turn it into something it's not because I'm not comparing him to this player repeat I'm not comparing him to this player James but, Harden yeah well here's <laughs> no but here's why when you watch Harden or when I watch Harden at least I'm like it's almost like he's going in slow motion and yet literally there is not a human being alive who can prevent him from either drawing the foul or or getting a layup when he's driving to the lane and when I watch Barrett, I feel like the same thing. Like, he's what this should be so easy to stop. He's go, it, it's like he's not going in quicksand, but he's not going at NBA speed. At least that's my perception when I watch him. And yet, and obviously, this is why I'm not making a comparison, he has nowhere near the efficiency and probably never well of a James Harden, to say nothing of the, the jump shot. But I just, when I when I watch him, I'm like, man, this shouldn't work. And yet, it, it, it we've already seen it
0: work a few times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he he looks almost out of control sometimes, but then just manages to contort his body and yeah. and make the the shot work. Um, and he's he has a lot of power too. Yeah, I mean the a lot was made about like how he's got an NBA ready body, you know, going into the draft and everything, and like that's very apparent. He's not Zion Williamson where he's like a physical freak in nature, but yep. he's definitely built to immediately be able to hold his own. The he's not like He's not like Kevin Knox last year, where you're like, yeah, he's kind of frail, like by NBA standards, and he's going to need to keep bulking up. Like he's already, he's he's there. He's he's already to the point where he can, you know, keep uh keep up in this league and you know physically be comparable to his peers.
1: Well, I'll I'll already I'll say it, and we haven't I don't no we haven't seen it yet, but um of and this is. Obviously, no shade at Mitch. I, I love Mitch, and I want to see Mitch have a great year. But I, I think I might be at the point where the mo- the lineup I am most excited to see, or rather the the lineup combination I'm most excited to see, is Knox, R.J. and Randall at the three, four, five in some combination. And mm-hmm. um, I'm not sure who I I'd be, probably need uh, Ellington out there for
0: his shooting. I I would guess and and Frank, uh, I think. Could probably I, yeah,
1: work. I guess, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah.
0: No, I actually, I literally said the exact. It's so funny. It's nice being on the same wavelength sometimes. I ADSC loves really, company. I I literally said the exact same thing on Locked On Knicks. The the same lineup almost to a T. I think I said Marks Morris instead of Knox, but I was like, if Mitch is still struggling with foul trouble, you know, at some point in the season, like maybe start bringing him off the bench again, just to sort of give him a reality check. Sure, and if they were going to do that, I would want to run out a lineup of like Frank Ellington, uh, RJ at the three, and then Morris or Knox, and then Julius Randall. I think that's actually a pretty interesting lineup. I
1: I, I just think Knox because one, um, if you put him and Randall and RJ at your three big positions, you want to talk about whoever grabs it, just go in transition. Um, not that Morris can't do that. We actually saw him bring it up a couple times, but Knox is such a gazelle when when he gets out into the open floor. And um I just I and again, I know I know more I don't think Morris has missed yet this this uh preseason, but I I'm such a believer in, in Knox's ability to space the floor. Um and I think at his size, I think you're gonna start seeing him shoot threes from like a couple feet behind the three point line. Um and I'm really I'm excited to see that. Alright, I've kept you for just about longer than i said i was going to we, we've hit the hour mark um alex you are just yeah i'll say it again you're a bastion of all that is good and holy in the world um, oh my goodness you really are <laughs> anything you want to uh plug promote or say uh before we we bid adieu
0: yeah well just of course um uh posting and toasting sv nation's next blog that's where i that's where I uh, reside on the blogosphere. So that's at PT Blog on Twitter, postingandtoasting.com. Uh, Locked on Nix is where I do my podcasting. So that's at LockedonNicks on Twitter uh, or lockedonnix.com if you want to listen. Uh, or that's obviously on like any listening platform that you listen through. And then if you want to just find me myself on Twitter, it's at TheAlexWolf. Check me out there because of. Tweeting from PT and Locked on Knicks and stuff. I don't tweet as much from my own account, but you know, you still get, you get some interesting Knicks takes from time to time and also a whole bunch of random bullshit that happen to be thinking at any given moment because that's my only outlet to do that. So The, the random
1: bullshit is the best. It really uh, is. I, I like
0: to think so. It doesn't get the most likes and retweets, but damn it, I'm getting my thoughts out there.
1: You know who made a living off of random bullshit? I'm sitting here, and I, I say this only because his biography is sitting at the desk that I'm doing this podcast from because my wife purchased it, is Elvis Duran. I'm, I'm looking at his book. Elvis Duran, Where Do I Begin? Stories... I sort of remember from a life
0: lived out loud.
1: I can't wait till you write your version of this, Alex Wolf.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, if, you know, if someday I get noteworthy enough to have a biography or an autobiography, I'll consider my life a success. So, me, yes. yeah, either way, yeah. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll consider my life a success at that point. But and hopefully uh,
1: your book will not end up uh, with a 20% off sticker on the front of it, which this one uh, most certainly has.
0: It probably will. It'll. I mean, books will be dead by the time that I'm allowed to write a autobiography. That. Anyway. <laughs> don't say that, please. No, no like, don't. no, like, like physical in paper books. No, I,
1: like, I, I know what you meant, and I say, don't say that. I love. I will. I will. There are a few things I believe with all of my soul, but the the benefit of having a physical book is something I, I'll die on that hill. I,
0: here's I, the here's the next level. This is a t- see. This is like a random Twitter thought that maybe would come out of my brain at some point. Here's a random thought. How sick of an innovation would it be to create a like an e paper book but so like a Kindle but like where you could somehow still like have that feeling of turning a page
1: i it's not enough i need the i need the printed
0: need words the printed, on the
1: page I yeah. want to see the that book on my shelf and know that 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 is the book that it purports to be. And that's true
0: that's true it is nice it is a nice feeling having a bookshelf of books that you've read yeah. because then it makes it to, for me at least it makes me feel smarter to be able to look and be like oh, I read it, it's
1: completely having to do with <laughs> building up my own self-esteem which is otherwise uh usually in the shitter um all right alex you, really thank you this was this was <laughs> i know we we tell all of our podcast guests this was fun This this was actually fun
0: yeah, um, I enjoy myself very much. Have me back anytime, man. And we'll get you unlocked on Knicks again soon. Yeah, we'll,
1: we'll we'll do a few crossovers, I'm sure. And um, yeah, everybody out there listening, um, I'm pretty sure I'm going to release this today. So have uh, a nice holiday weekend. And uh, we will be back with you in another episode very soon. But in the meantime, uh, yeah, good to go.